welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Um, how many people are time? We've got a lot of new people here tonight. Anybody? Very good. First of all, welcome. Good to see you. How many of you are members here for the first time? Just got here recently. Good. Hey, welcome home, man. Glad to have you. You guys, if you haven't been told, you can bring your family to this. They open the door at 6.15, and they also, Recovery Church chap, chap welcomes the families in, too. We want the families to come celebrate with you your homecoming and see, see how good you're doing while we go through this whole reentry thing we're doing together, huh? Um, we've been doing a thing for a while because God's done a really mighty work for us in the last quarter of last year. And we asked him to do it, and he did it, and, uh, and uh, we're now fully scaled again. And we decided since we did prayer all the way through that, we're going to continue doing prayer because it would be silly to stop doing what we're. So, chap, it's on you. Well, we might as well stand all to our feet in the room and recognize who it is that has given us the answers to our prayers. Father, we thank you today, and once again, we recognize you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. Most of all, we want to recognize you for what you're about to do. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for every single family that is represented here on tonight. And we ask you, Lord, just to come into this place continually and let your spirit be made known in this place. We believe on tonight, Lord, as we step into take a look at step four, that we're going to make some quick decisions to launch out. We're going to launch and do more than what we've ever done before. This is a time that we realize who we are and whose we are. So we thank you again for today and for everything you're doing, for the opportunity that we can all come together and receive from what you have for us on tonight. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, chap. If you guys don't know him, that's Chaplain Sam Lee, and he, uh, he does the Recovery Church service every Saturday, which I just mentioned. He's got a big agenda for, for January, so, you know, come check us out. Uh, what we do here, if you haven't been here before, is we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week, directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yeah? So what we do here, not so much tell you what the book says, but show you how I find what it says to me and encourage you to have your experience. Does it make sense? And, and if we both do our job, we share a spiritual experience in the room. Fair enough? How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that happen? So by the show of hands, those of you online can't see the hands because of the anonymous nature of our fellowships. <laughs> However, you can see me, and I'm telling you, they're showing their hands. And those of you in the room, when we say that to you, we talk of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're talking about a sensory experience. You'll feel it. And when you do, I'll know. And I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of the power. Fair enough? So tonight, as Chap pointed out, we're going to be in step four, and in spite of that, the room's relatively full. <laughs> so that's always a good sign. Either you didn't get the memo or you're ready to grow, right? So the instructions for step four are found at the bottom of page 63, and the authors start out by saying, next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. So I want to first remind everyone, who's the we they're talking about? Okay, so the first 100, immediately having said the third step prayer, launched out on a course of vigorous action. How many of you would describe your first effort at a fourth step as something less than a launching? So... Again, we want to tie back to what they talked about. Rarely, they're about to say to us, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. And they talk about the experience of this power 
that we call God, right? And we started talking about in step two that deep down inside every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. But then they start, yeah, power, exactly right. Talking about the expression of that lives as power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing into them as soon as they took certain simple steps, right? So the reason I'm going to embark on this path is I desperately need power as evidenced by the fact that I'm drugging myself to death or I'm doing whatever, right? Okay, so then it says the first step of which is a personal house cleaning which many of us had never attempted. How many of you thought you had attempted a personal house cleaning? And, and some of you, because some of us do think that, right? And then we don't really change as much as we like to tell people we've changed. Any of you tell people you changed before the change came and then... Okay. So it says, though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless it once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. So they're talking of the experience I just spoke of. I made a decision, I thought, to be different, to be better than I had been, but I didn't really follow through. There was no evidence through action. Does that make sense? So it wasn't that I didn't mean it when I said I decided. It's just I took no outward action to show that I meant it. So if I'm wanting this to have a permanent effect, I'm going to have to follow through on that which I've decided. Does it make sense? Okay. All right. So how many of you suspected in your addiction that whatever substance you were tied to was really a symptom of something deeper? A lot of us figured that out somewhere along the way. It may have been the only thing we had right, right? People would say, man, you've got a heroin problem. No, my problem is your attitude about my heroin use. I have that <laughs> under control. So it's okay to have that part right, but I got to do something about the underlying malady. It's not enough just to know it, right? Okay, so we're going to get down to causes and conditions, and luckily we don't have to make that up because they wrote it down. So let's follow them along. Therefore, we started, who's the we? So we're with them up to this point, so now we're going to see what they started, right? We started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. Sorry we read the whole paragraph, but you have to to get context. Now we're going to go back and unpack. So the we is who? The first 100. So what did they do? The exactly the same thing with our lives as the store owner getting down to the stock and trade. And what is the stock and trade? Okay. So they said, they said that this is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. How many of you have done a four-step inventory and found some facts? How many of you, having found the facts, preferred not to face them? <laughs> See, that's the thing. If I'm not going through with the rest of the process, I may find the fact, but I haven't taken the facts to the truth. The facts about Joe is that he is an addict of the hopeless variety. He is carrying around a death sentence. He's a dead man walking, doesn't have enough sense to lay down. But I encountered power one day, and I've never been the same, because I took those facts to the truth within me. And when you take the facts to the truth, you walk out a free man. Does that make sense? OK. So then it goes on to say, to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. How many of you discovered once you took the facts to the truth and you felt changed, you 
hardly dared believe you were as changed as radically as you thought you might be, but you did finally dare to walk out in it just in case it was true. How many of you started seeing things you thought were assets as liabilities as you started going out trying to help people? So we're going to let go of those damaged and unsaleable goods. You've got to know that because some of us try, I don't want to be changed, I just don't pick up no matter what. Well, if I don't change, I pick up no matter what. So if I try and cling, cling to that old identity instead of walk into my new identity, Half measures avail me nothing. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. You guys get what they're saying that self, because I asked to be delivered from the bondage of self, so now I'm going to go find out. It's not enough to say the prayer. I need to know exactly how myself manifests when I experience fear, when I experience selfishness. Does it make sense? Because how many of you acted in a way that you really didn't believe you were? You just acted that way to get somewhere or to feel safe or to gather a little something extra. But I'm really not that guy. I'm really not that gal. But all of a sudden, you're acting so convincingly that everyone else believes it. You know what I'm talking about? That's when you're self-manifest. How many of you knew that you really cared about people and they said, if you really cared about me, you'd stop doing what you're doing? Any of you ever heard that speech? How many of you couldn't stop doing what you're doing? You're self-manifested, right? It didn't mean that you didn't mean it. It just looked like you didn't mean it. And we don't believe we're mentally ill. That's the weirdest thing about recovery rooms. If you go into a room full of mentally ill people, they kind of know, right? They're a little different. Not in recovery rooms. We don't, any of us, both think we belong here. Until we get here and sit long enough, find out we're that one they're talking about. Okay. So resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we've not only been mentally ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So the first thing you've got to get your hands around, your head around, is the idea of spiritual malady. Because if you're prejudiced about the idea that you're spiritually sick, and until we tend to that, there's no hope for you mentally and physically, then there'll be no reason to take these self-searching, leveling of pride actions we're about to suggest. Does that make sense? Yeah. To figure that out. So some people don't like the idea of being spiritually sick. I'm just weak-willed. I'm just whatever. And i just like to point out to you how many of you got, took it out pretty far? <coughs> Incarceration, homelessness, whatever, the whole, the whole enchilada. How many of you in the middle of that had a real sense of how bad you looked to those who were caring about you. How many of you have seen those animals on the street with matted fur and intuitively knew that there was something wrong with that animal? How come you don't know that about yourself or your brother or your sister? Because I don't understand what a manifestation of spiritual illness looks like. We're trying to open our eyes because eyesight without insight spiritual blindness. Make sense? Okay, so we, we know in other cases, but when we look at something that looks strangely like us, we're judgmental. We gotta get rid of that in order to, does it make sense? Okay, all right, so, so when the spiritual maladies overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. They set them on paper. How have you dealt with your resentments? Sure, yeah, John's not here, but he'd tell the guy on the bar stool next to him. Any of you go to work and tell your friend about all the shitty things people are doing? <laughs> so we're, the changed behavior is instead of poisoning the space, we've got to learn to, let's get it out in front of it, let's, let's list and analyze, right? So I said, we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We ask ourselves why we were angry. You got to break that down. People always have you hand you a form. I don't like handing people forms. I like to see people write this down so they can see it, even if they start with 
relationships and work their way back to resentments. Because if you start with a form, you just start checking the box and you take people's word for the way yourself manifests and that's, that's not gonna help you. This is an effort for you to get to know you and in knowing you, you'll know them. Does that make sense? Um, so he said, we listed people, oh, I'm sorry. We ask ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, or personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore, we were burned up. So any of you notice that? When your security is threatened or you perceive your security or your, your personal relationships or your employment relationships, you ever had felt like those things were threatened? Did you notice how that kind of created a little anxiety in you? Okay. So it says, on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambition, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? So we want to look at all of that. Why was I angry? Then look at all the things that was interfered with, because I'm going to try and find out how desire is keeping me in pain and suffering. That make sense? I'm trying to control someone's idea or my perception of something that happened to me. I'm trying to hold on to that instead of walk away from that because somehow I'm making you pay penance. Anyone know what I'm talking about? If you don't, I, I, when I really first got a hold of this thing, I, the only reason I had to live was to get back at some son of a bitch that had done me wrong. Uh, I, that's what, that was my grit. That was it. That's what I had. I'm going to live long enough to get them. And that was enough to keep me alive, but it wasn't ever enough to keep me sober or comfortable. So as I started unpacking that, because I discovered there was a way to go out and serve others a lot like me by telling them, look, I've been redeemed from that which you suffer from, and let me tell you what happened. This is what I did. This is what I experienced as a result. And I started finding out that I became less judgmental and more servant-heart-minded just as going through the process, doing what I was supposed to do in self-interest. Does it make sense? I acted selflessly in self-interest, and one day I started having selfless experiences. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so um, I'm going to go down to the bottom of that. It said, we went back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Why did nothing count but thoroughness and honesty? Well, I can't lie to you without lying to me first. And as long as I keep lying to me, I keep dying. Does that make sense? <laughs> so thoroughness and honesty, this is an effort to get down to the truth. Not your truth, not my truth, the truth. And what did they tell me the first step in recovery was? We learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were. And I can't do that based on a lie. So if I want the freedom that's promised, nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so when we were finished, we considered it carefully. Why do I need to consider an effort where I think I've been thorough and honest? And I'm not always honest. Yeah, how many of you thought, okay, I'm pretty thorough and I'm pretty honest, but I don't want that some bitch to know this about me. I just met him. Any of you prepped for a four or a four or five, doing a four, and thought you'd shade it a little because there was that one little thing you didn't quite want to tell? Okay. So it says the first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. You ever had that going on? That usually happens when we go out to right some perceived wrong, and then we tune them up a little more than they need tuned up. And now we're no longer mad at them, but damn, I'm such a shit. Any of you been there? Okay. So it says the usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and we were sore at ourselves, but the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. Have you ever been in that spin? Trying to control how others see you, try and get over the hurt, but can't quite get past the hurt, still tie back to them, fighting. The reason it seems like you just can't get ahead is you're fighting with illusions. 
perceptions are not real. They're just your perceptions. And until we get to see how yourself manifests, that's all you can see is perceptions. How many of you can remember those days in active addiction or just active bad human behavior? And it's almost like another person, like an out-of-body experience. They were illusions, weren't they? Those perceived enemies. And all we can witness to, if you guys haven't had that experience, look at all of us that have, and we'll, we'll tell you, man, you, we don't have to fight all those battles because they, they, were, they were nonsense. Okay? All right, so as in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. Can you see why they're saying that now? Am I explaining it well enough that you understand why that would happen in our own experience? That's the value of this, is that we're going to get to the truth so we can let go, so we can disarm and pick up better armor. Does it make sense? Okay. So it's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Now, for those of you who have not done a fourth step, you probably wouldn't see it so plainly. In fact, for those of you who haven't done a fourth step and made an attempt at amends and started praying and meditating and actually trying to help others, you may not see it so plainly. Because we usually have a far more profound experience when we're helping others than we do initially because we're still dead. Do you guys think I'm kidding? How many of you took it right to the ragged edge and you can see now you clearly once were dead, but now you're alive? Yeah, that's not, that's not a theory. That's what How many of you felt that? Because I felt you all the way up here. That's the power we call God. That's not coming from up here. That's happening in you. Okay? All right, so it does lead only to futility and unhappiness, doesn't it? So to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? They gave us a key. What was the key? They learned that they permitted that squandering. How many of you didn't? mean to permit it. Didn't know I permitted it. Right? The nature of delusion is I lie to me and I don't know I'm lying. Does it make sense? So, so, and this isn't a new discovery. We often cite the, the eagle song. So oftentimes it happens that we live our life in chains and we never even know we hold the key. How many of you have discovered that? Every one of you that sat on a prison yard decided to change your life you were writing to us here, and you started doing this stuff, planning for a life beyond there, all of a sudden you were free in spite of your circumstance because you knew you could see yourself out there, right? We saw you, we, you know, right? That, that, that prodigal. We started running and bringing your coat and slaughtering heifers for you the minute we saw you on the horizon, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, so... Um, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. Did you know that if you are an addict to the hopeless variety, that if we want to join them, we have to come to the conclusion that my only hope is the growth and maintenance of a spiritual experience? Because I don't live well abstinent. And sensory spiritual experiences are what I like to call spiritual inebriation. Because one thing I've proven in all my years is I live well inebriated. Okay? So we found it is fatal for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the Spirit. So what feelings? Feelings of resentment. What does it mean to harbor? Okay? The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. With us to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. Remember when they differentiated the difference between normal folk and alcoholic folk? I got this one abnormal reaction. When I put alcohol or various substances in my body, I have a different reaction than normal, normal folk. Any of you drinkers? When you drank, did you find that alcohol energized you? It's a sedative. <laughs> that would be an abnormal reaction. Does it make sense? So that if I know I'm that guy and I'm starting to unspool this, then if they want to be mad, they can be mad. See, what I want everyone to know, I've seen people wield this book or other books as if it was the guidebook and they were the cop. You ever seen it? That's not what this book's for. 
This book is to free me of me, so I'm free to be me. I just want to like people. I just want to pour into people. And the only way that's going to happen is if I do what these people suggest. Then it won't bother me what you all do. Does that make sense? And the other book I'm talking about, same, same gig. Okay. Um, yeah, quit, quit wagging it at people and start walking in it. Everyone get a better experience. Okay. Um, so we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. So what is the key to the future found on my list? The truth. Not my truth, not your truth, the truth. Okay? We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. How many of you came to that conclusion? No matter what you did, no matter what your strivings, something always seemed to go wrong, and all of a sudden you're maybe back where you started, maybe three rungs down. Anyone else? So in that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancy to real, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? So when they put a question mark, remember this is a textbook, so eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. So I want to, if that's the question, okay, I acknowledge this about me, how do I escape? Then I might want to read further. Does it make sense? Okay. So we saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? So how many of you realized that resentment was not good for you? But somehow that son of a bitch still needed to burn. <laughs> how many of you thought you let go of it and then met someone that reminded you of it and all of a sudden you were there again? One of my favorite questions is, anyone in the room have someone they still really don't like? Can you bring it to consciousness right now? Can you feel how much you don't like them? Do you see them in the room? If you don't see them in the room, then you brought them in here. And if you do see them in the room, you might want to work it out, because we got cameras. Okay. So we could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. So I'm starting to accept that about me, but I really don't believe it. I really think I should be able to just will it away. But as I start to go out and realize that perhaps you're sick, and I realize the reason I recognize these traits in you is those are the very traits I don't like about me. And as I start to meet your need, and try and show non-judgment to you, I find that I one day experience non-judgment toward you, and then one day I find that I'm not angry about things the world tells me I should be angry about. Any of you had, some of you are feeling that experience, right? Because you've had it happen to you. The world may even tell you you should be angry. <laughs> nah, I don't want to. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm feeling a lot of you feeling it, so you're, you're with me. Okay. All right, so we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. So be careful with that. I've heard people just say, if you're mad at someone, pray for them. <laughs> That's not really what they said. What, what I'm asking this power that I now know is tangible and sensory and real within me, I'm asking it, this power, to empower me to be kinder than I feel like being in this moment. How many of you didn't know that's what you were praying, but you have found as you grew in recovery that you were empowered to be kinder than you felt like being, simply because you understood what you were seeing, yes? But you didn't understand what you were seeing before you embarked, right? So we can't deny that this power has started to do a work in us, can we? Okay. So, so it says that when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? So now I'm speaking inward, right? God saved me from being angry. How many of you have seen somebody and were angry, but were empowered not to act in it? Maybe for the first time in a long time. Okay. Thy will be done. When they say thy will be done, what are they talking about? Yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be power. I'm still going to think like Joe, but I'm going to be empowered to act better than Joe did. Does it make sense? Yeah. It's a handy little trick for people like me and a whole bunch of you. I've read your records. 
we have to in order to mentor you. It's a, it's a thing. Um, we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. How many of you learned that just like they learned it? You retaliated somebody that you really meant to help, and now they want no part of you? We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So my job is to serve. God's job is to change people. And, and in that process, either my perceptions will change or their behavior will change. But either way, if I'm empowered to act better than I used to, I win. Does it make sense? Okay. All right, so referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. This is a part of the thing that may help, help to have someone that's been through the process help you. Because if we're really attached to an event, it's hard for us to let go of our thoughts about the event. So someone else has to dig in and help us find our part. Does it make sense? Remember when they wrote this book, number one, they didn't take these steps just the way they wrote them down because there weren't 12 steps. There were five principles of the Oxford groups. And, and, and so they wrote down and in order to market it more efficiently, they spread it out over 12 steps. And, and you can read all that history if you want to. But the reality is the reason they're doing this stuff is to grow so they can help another because that's, that's the only way we get free. Okay. So um, it says... We are going to run into these sick people, and, and we're, going to, we're going to learn something from every one of them. Then it says, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others have done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. So it doesn't matter what they did. It matters what, what's attaching me to it, right? How many of you looked at it, and, and what happened to you, you had no part in? So then you just sat there the victim until someone pointed out, well, your part is unforgiveness. And we're not telling you to deny how you feel. We're telling you, go help another who survived such an experience or is going through such an experience, and you'll find out why you went through it, just for the very reason that you're the answer to that person's prayer. Does it make sense? OK, so where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? See how they're chasing it all the way back to fear every time. I'm going to go, I'm acting selfishly. That's because I perfected my selfishness by self-seeking. I had to lie to me first in order to do it, that you didn't deserve something or I deserved it more or whatever. And all of that was driven by fear. I, I, I lost my identity. I doubted who I was and whose I was and that my needs wouldn't be met unless I behaved in a way that I knew was not my mooring. Does it make sense? Okay. And I need to know that because when I get back to the fear and question the fear, I realize that was never me. That was the afraid me. And when I see you acting that way, it's not you. It's the scared you. And you never can get someone from being afraid by yelling at them. You've got to be unafraid in their presence. Does it make sense? Okay. So though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So they're telling you what happened to them. How many of you admitted it honestly, but were not quite ready to set the matter straight? That's why it's a process, and a, right? We're gonna walk it out. We're gonna act our way into better thinking. So don't give up too soon, right? Or, Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside with the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. So they're all talking about fear in all those instances. But did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? So they're going to have us take a look and analyze our fears. Now that we've got down to the fears and our resentments, is there are some common elements of fears we experience even with no resentment in connection with them. How many of you have had fears with no resentment in connection with them? Where's my people that have had depression? That's anger without enthusiasm. 
I know people are chuckling, but just barely. Because when they're thinking about the force that holds us down and our inability to do anything, even though we know doing anything at all would make us feel better than we do, we're in that. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. How many of you are afraid you're going to miss something? That's also a fear of commitment, right? Because if I pick this one, then the better one comes. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> Well, it'll explain why I have difficulty in relationships. Where's my drinkers? Any of you close the bar every night, no matter how sick you were? Why'd you stay? If I, if I left, I might miss some. Where's my, where's my addicts at the trap house? Same gig, right? If I leave, I might miss some. Not you heroin addicts. You, you didn't leave because you couldn't get up. <laughs> That's all right. We get that too. Okay, sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment and connection with them. We ask ourselves why we had them. So if with fears, you just want to ask yourself why and then go through the checklist. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Are you still counting one effort you made that didn't go as planned against yourself? and keeping you from doing it the next time? Because I'll tell you one thing, if you are like me, and I think many of you are, you wouldn't be here sitting here with me. You're new now. You're not that guy. You're not that woman. And so whatever happened in the past is certainly not guaranteed to happen again. But if I'm still holding what happened the last time I tried it against myself so I won't try something to become better, then I'm going to stay stuck where I've always been. Does it make sense? Okay. So that's why we're doing all this self-reflection. Um, self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. So how many of you overcompensated for the fear? Rather than, rather than let it hold you back, you went out blustering to the point where you were maybe taking credit for stuff that weren't yours. Or the toughest guy on the planet when you secretly suspected you might not be. <laughs> Whatever, we do all kind of weird stuff that way, right? But we can now see why they said when it made us cocky it was worse, right? Because about the time I think I'm the toughest guy in any room, I'm about to meet him. <laughs> Some of you have had that experience too. <laughs> Perhaps there's a better way, we think so, for we're now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. Power. Power. It's so important you said that. I'm on a different basis because I know that although this power flows through me, it is not of me. Therefore, the outcomes are in God's hands through me, not me. So it doesn't matter what happened in the past because I was unaware of that power going with me in that instance, and I know now, no matter what you throw against me, no weapon formed against me can prosper. Right, that's right. Because I'm walking in that new identity. Does that make sense? So it says, we trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. Isn't that what we got going on? Because I know I didn't lift myself out of the gutter I came out of. I had no earthly desire to come out of that gutter. And then one day I was out of it. Okay. So we're in the world to play the role he assigns. Yeah. I'm more interested in how many of you, like me, sometimes think that may well be so, but I particularly got a shitty assignment. <laughs> and so what they want us to do is turn that around. Although I have a difficult assignment for the role I've been given in my life, who better than me to play this role? I've been perfectly prepared to play this role at this time. And you have been perfectly prepared to play the role you're playing now and the one you're walking into. A different basis. 
trusting and relying upon God. Does that make sense now? Yes. We ain't walking out as me. I'm walking out as him. And it doesn't matter whether you recognize him because he recognizes me. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So then it says, just to the extent we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? And they're describing the ability to be kinder than we feel like being, to be calm in a storm. How many of you were with us through the last couple of months? We were in a storm, weren't we? How many of you saw us appearing calm? Because that's how we roll. It wasn't as calm as it, felt, as it looked. <laughs> we had a little shit running down both legs, but we... Nonetheless, right? All right, so... We never apologize for, to anyone for depending upon our Creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. I don't have to argue with people about my leaf, beliefs. I don't even have to declare my beliefs because light is self-evident. I just need to walk in my beliefs and other people will know something's different. And I'm saying that to you. Walk in your beliefs. Don't profess them. They'll believe soon enough. And what's really profound about it is you'll believe deeper as you walk in it. Okay? All right, so the verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. When I do things that people like me can't possibly do, and you ask me, how did you ever come up with it? And I say, I didn't. It's not me being humble. I let him demonstrate through me what he can do. His will, his power, his way of life. Does that make sense? We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. I will be in fear if I think I'm the doer, but once I recognize he's the doer and I just need to get instruction on what state of being to be in, I'm a human being, not a human doing. So, I may be told to be still. I may be told to be faithful. I may be told to be quiet. <laughs> and if I'll do those things, then the doer will work out that which disturbs me. And at a minimum, I'll confront my fear about it, and either way, it will no longer be a problem. Does it make sense? Okay. Now about sex. Everybody heading for the doors? <laughs> Many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, the base necessity of procreation. And then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we don't have enough of it or it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. How many of you have to admit sometimes in your life maybe you've been both? Where's my tweakers? Don't lie to me. <laughs> you didn't even know whose house you were in, right? I only point that out because if we're really in a new, fresh relationship, you know, sex and more sex, right? And then when we just come out of a bad one, it's like procreation only. Screw that. <laughs> I'll do me. So one mountain would allow a man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. Why did they decide they wanted to stay out of the controversy? Yeah, we're no good at it. Right? The only reason I give a damn about what you're doing with whoever you're doing it with is if I was hoping to do it with them before you got there. Does 
a lot of energy wasted on that shit, right? <laughs> we do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. They said it a second time. It must have been part of their growth, right? They wouldn't have said it twice. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. Part of our human nature is we think we can overcome things that is part of our nature. You don't get to behave kinder than you feel like behaving unless you're changed, raised above your nature, because at your cellular level, you are action-reaction. So if you are empowered to act better than you feel like acting, then you have been raised above the laws of this world, at least the natural laws. Just because you're not raised above all of them doesn't mean you weren't raised above your carnal nature into a higher state of being, correct? And the same goes, we just think it's about drugs, but it's about all desire. Okay, so we do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? So let's quit debating how people behave, because I've, deba I've behaved bad enough for everybody. Let's just see what I can do to get free of me and make right to those that I've harmed. Yes? So we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? So I want to help you out with some secrets about 12-step recovery. This paragraph is the essence of your 10th step for a lifetime. You don't have to get all caught up in sex inventories and fear inventories. It, this paragraph on page 69, the authors of the big book were not without a sense of humor. <laughs> Smack in the middle of page 69 is where we talk about sex. Yeah? So we reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we just unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. So you're going to do that with every relationship you have, including sex, if you want to, and then you can wind it back to resentments or do whatever you want to do. But it has to do with, we learned a lot about relationships long before we learned anything about sex. And so we learned patterns long before we learned that. We learned all of this, and our nature is to be selfish anyway, and so that's just how it is until we're delivered from it, yeah? So that's, that's just a little trick. That's your prayer, right? In any moment that I'm disturbed, as you grow through this, where am I being selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Yes? Okay. So it's a, in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. So how many of you want a future sex life? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, one of you? Three? Four. <laughs> the rest of you are lying, right? I mean... I know there was more than five that want a future sex. I've seen at least five of you on the cameras working on one. <laughs> Just keeping it real, you know, keeping her 100. <laughs> so it's not really about a sex life anyway. It's about my future relationships. And, and the reason we might want to do an inventory that is self-searching and leveling a pride is I do want a sane and sound ideal for all my future relationships, business, personal, whatever, yes? Even my relationship with worldly things. I want a, I want a sane and sound ideal for my relationship with power and money, because those types of things get me in trouble. Sure. Yep. Does that make sense? So that's what the product of this is, is a sane and sound ideal for all my future relationships. So if you're here tonight and you're this far, that's why we want to do a four-step inventory so that we, we can see our targets and, and start getting empowered to grow into that man or woman we always desperately want to be. And guess what happens? I'm a far better man than I ever dreamed I could be. I got a long way to go, but I'm better than I ever wanted to be. Yep. Make sense? Yep. Okay. So we subjected East's relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? So it gets to be pretty easy on the fly. Is it selfish or not? Why am I drawn into this? We ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. Notice how you're doing that on the fly, right? They're doing it in writing now, but we're going to be doing it on the fly in our thought life soon enough. We ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. So use, use your appeal and your powers as you should appropriately. Don't be afraid of them, but understand when people 
look up to you and they see you in a way and the only tool they have, the only expression of that they know is more carnal, you understand they're not seeing you. It's not that you've become this beautiful piece of meat. What's happened is they see your spirit and they want it. So you're carrying a burden of responsibility. Does it make sense? So you want to... Be, people like your spirit first, whether you know it or not. Spirit recognizes spirit. Um, so whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. Why? They said this was suggestive only. Now they're coming up with these freaking rules. <laughs> they, don't mean, they don't mean must like you, thou shalt. They mean like, why would you go to all this trouble if you didn't want to grow? It's a no-brainer. Does it make sense? I must be willing to grow toward it, or why did I unearth all this trash about me? It makes sense to unearth the trash if I intend to take it out. If all I'm doing is stirring it up to get a new stink, it makes no sense. But I must be willing to grow toward it because I don't want a new stink. I want to walk out fresh. Yes? Okay. And it says, and we must be willing to make amends where we've done harm. Same thing. Why would I want to make amends where I've done harm? Because I need to grow. I need to, I need to go own my part and show them that I'm growing and, and ask what I can do to treat them better in the future. Yeah? Okay, so provided that we do not bring out still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. So we're back to what I was telling you. It isn't really a sex inventory at all. It's, it's a relationship inventory. And then some, somebody somewhere along the line said, well, let's get a sex list. And then we all get crazy with all it and it's fine to get down to the cause and conditions but we're talking about my human condition which includes sex it's a symptom of my underlying malady just as my drugs were make sense okay so in meditation we ask God what we should do about each specific matter this is the first time they talk about meditation is here on page 69 too the right answer will come if we want it. So promise and condition. The right answer will come. What's the condition? What happens if I don't want it? How many of you have got the right answer and thought you could improve on it? So God doesn't deny you the right answer. You, you reject it. Sometimes. How many of you got the right answer, but you thought it was an action when it was a being? Sometimes you're told to be patient. Sometimes you're told to be still. Didn't get a specification for how long, did you? He'll let you know when it's time to move, right? Okay. God alone can judge our sex situation. Who? How many of you have taken your sex situation to somebody like-minded so you can get permission to go do what you're doing and fixing to do anyway? How many of you heard all kinds of human opinions and you shouldn't do something you knew desperately you should do and you checked with God and you went and did it and it turned out? That's right. You know why we don't get caught captive with humans? Because God alone can judge our situation. Okay? All right. And that's not telling you to go out and do. I'm telling you you're going to get the consequences of whatever you do. You might want to check with God. Okay. So counsel with other persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. Guys, if you didn't come for two or three, they've told us precisely where and how they found God. They told you that half of them were atheists or agnostics in the beginning, but the experience they had changed their mind. This is testimony about believers dying in addiction and non-believers being converted into believers because we all come to believe or we wouldn't have a step that we come to believe. We come, we come to, we come to believe. That's why they call it an awakening. Does it make sense? Okay. So we realize that, pe that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. How many of you have discovered that? Any of you that ever been down at the Motel 6 have? Right <laughs> here too, huh? Don't tell me that. Jim and I got a duty to report. We avoid, we avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Who do you think they're talking about? Have you, how many of you have been advice seekers? 
How many opinions did you get before you got the right one? <laughs> Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Any of you get caught in that fear? This is who I really want to be. This is my path for getting there. I've got it aligned with God. But what if I do that? And what if that doesn't work out? Any of you get there? They want us to own that. That's a human thing. If there wasn't doubt, faith wouldn't be such an important commodity. That's right. Okay. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? No. How many of you guarded your sobriety in the early days? Like you were afraid anything was going to cause you to go off the rails, didn't it? Because I did. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm that different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was afraid everything, because I'd hear people's opinions of what caused it. Guess what? I can't do anything to stay sober because I didn't do anything to get sober. People say, well, I didn't pick up. Well, that didn't do anything. It takes no power to not do. <laughs> Make sense? Okay. So some people tell us so, but it's only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. That's a tricky one. If I don't grow in consciousness of this power within me, I'm never really going to know my motives. How many of you wanted to get sober desperately could manifest no outward action to show it? So what was your motive? To get sober, but no one believed you. How many of you wanted to behave differently before you got jammed up and got in trouble? How many of you could manifest no outwardly action to show it and ended up getting jammed up anyway? So we're not good without power. My motives are not demonstrable. Um, if we're sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to set, let God take us to better things, we believe we'll be forgiven and, and have learned our lesson. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. So I want to call your attention because I hear this a lot, and, and I don't know who started it, but people talk to you about forgiveness of self. But you've got to understand if you're going to try and grow into a selfless state so you can serve, self's the problem. Forgiveness is a divine act. So I need God to forgive me, and then I need to go out as an instrument of that forgiveness because humans don't forgive in the divine way. <laughs> Biblically, when God forgives... It either takes the memory of up from us or changes it, rearranges it in our mind. It puts to purpose that which we're feeling we need forgiveness for, right? And so for 12-step purposes, it's not I need to forgive me. No, you need to serve them. You need to go meet you in service to them, and you will know that you've already been forgiven. There's nothing for you to do. Does that make sense? All you got to do is be the servant he's called you to be, and you will walk in the forgiveness that you are. Okay? All right. So, uh, what do I do? To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for strength to do the right thing. Guys, we're not kidding. Men and women, if you're... You're new, and you've always, you know, you've been down a minute, and you're, and you know, I just want to, and I'm sure that he or she's the one. They may be. It's not my, it's not my place. But what do you have to offer right now in this relationship? And wouldn't it be good to just check in with God and see if this is exactly what you, because it's not about who they are for me. It's about what I bring. And if I get honest about what I bring, it's not a don't get in a relationship in the first year. I hope the hell you get in a relationship the first day after you meet someone to show you because this is a relationship we're talking about in three is a very important relationship to form all your other relationships. If you're not in relationship with God, then you're going to be a shit show anyway. There's power within you, right? But if you are in relationship with God, then you're going to get a lot of grace. Do you, but check with him first. Not do you, do. <laughs> that was an earlier lesson. Um, if sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others, right? If you're really feeling like you're lacking, go help another. Okay? 
Um, we think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. They're telling you of their experience. If we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. We've listed and analyzed our resentments, and we've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We've listed people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. And I stop there and call your attention to the fact they're talking about beginnings. It's not a one and done. I've just begun to learn these things. I'm going to have to go out and serve and take the power out for a walk to grow into it. Does it make sense? I can't think my way into better acting. I'm going to have to act my way into better thinking. Okay, thank you very much.